Hello, and welcome to another episode of Corporate Conversations. My name is Eleanor Lewis, Research Analyst and member of the editorial team for GC Powerlist and Private Practice Powerlist. I'm delighted to introduce this two-part Corporate Conversation series titled Climate Change, Energy Transition, Fair Business, Challenges for Conflict Resolution. From the title, it is clear that there are three key themes to this discussion, headed by esteemed counsel Roberta Downey, head of international construction and partner at Vincent and Elkins London, and Kai Carl, global chief litigation counsel at GE Renewable Energy, experts in their field. These themes encompass climate change, the energy transition and reform and dispute resolution, highlighting the interception between the three. We're on track to a 2.8 degree temperature rise this century, as stated by the United Nations. And as such, the government is making pledges to cut greenhouse gas emissions and put the planet back on track. The aim is to limit this increase to 1.5 degrees, globally reducing greenhouse emissions by 45% within eight years. As such, there's an increased need for dispute resolutions, especially within fast timeframes. But is international commercial dispute resolution ready for this? Increased use of ever-evolving technology comes into play in this scenario, but people often want technology faster than it's ready and tested. Given how fast we are seeing technology used in renewables projects evolving, is our current dispute resolution system equipped to cope? It's becoming more common for individuals to test their new technology in real-life settings to see if they work. Are we likely to see more claims around defects in relation to this technology? Indeed, the discussion and debates around arbitration are changing. People are beginning to understand how the industry is functioning. There's an increasing urgency of climate arbitrations, but this process still takes too long. The discussion leads to a potential hybrid process of dispute resolutions to deal with complexities quickly, but there's always a trade-off between time and quality. Continue watching to hear about all of these complexities plus many more insights and anecdotes from our esteemed speakers. Thank you, Kai, for joining us today. Um, the topic we've got is three independent topics brought together. We've heard a lot about climate change, a lot about energy transition, and a lot about reform in dispute resolution and looking at new uh, uh, methods to accelerate it. You, in your capacity, are dealing with all three intersecting. What are the key issues that you see arising out of that? So, you know, thanks, Roberta, first for having me here. Um, I think it's important to connect energy transition, climate change, and dispute resolution. And what we're talking about is really, it's international commercial dispute resolution. So not so much the, the public interest litigation, but, you know, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, where we are really in the trenches. Now, why is it important to connect the three topics? I think that's where you have to go back to, to climate change and kind of take a... Take a moment just to see where we are. And, and I've noted down some points here from the um, 2022 energy gap report by the UN. So we are on a path to a 2.8 degrees Celsius global warming based on policies currently in place. To limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius Paris Agreement, um, the global annual greenhouse gas emission must be reduced by 45% compared to emissions under the current policies within eight years by 2030. And then, you know, we have to continue on that path to um, for greenhouse gas emission to, to decline rapidly. Um, 
So, and, and interesting that the emission gap report says um, the window is closing. Now, take that to our world. Um, a key feature of the energy transition thus is that we need to, it's urgency, we need to, you know, swiftly implement um, infrastructure projects um, within a very compressed time frame. And you can see where this had, where this is going if you talk about international commercial dispute resolution. It's a perfect recipe for disputes coming up. So I think we need to start thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you adapt? How do you change? What do we need to do um, for international commercial dispute resolution to be ready for this world? You know, are we, um, can we deal with such a situation? I think that's the key question for us. Yes, though, I mean, the wheels of justice are moving much slower than the technology. Uh, how do you, what sort of issues do you see that as presenting in terms of the sort of subject matter of disputes? Do you see that we're going to find, for example, much more expedited processes? Or do you think you're going to get deals where people sort of agree that they will fix the problems and argue about them later more? Do you think there'll be a change? And have you had examples uh, or experience yeah. of this? So, so I think one question is, do we, you know, are we talking about the types of disputes? Is there going to be a significant change going forward? Or is it, are we talking more about the parameters, about the framework of dispute resolution? In terms of types of disputes, you know, I don't really see a big difference. I mean, you're talking about implementing the energy transition, it's infrastructure projects, you know, you know the type of disputes that come out of that. Uh, they won't change very much. But you mean I, that there'll be still defect claims? There will be still, you know, the same type of, of, of claims. But I think what we're really talking about is, are the parameters, the framework of dispute resolution. You know, are we, is international arbitration fit for purpose in a world heading towards two, 2.8 degrees um, global warming? Can I, can I break them into two parts? Because yeah. I see them as two parts. One part is the mechanism of resolving a dispute and the other is the nature of the dispute. I can understand that they still will be things like defect and quality disputes and delays. But where you've got projects using new technology, which might have been new three years ago, but by the time the arbitration comes around, might be five years old, do you see that presenting new issues that are going to have to be resolved in arbitration, wherein arbitrator is going to be thinking, well, there is newer technology and everybody now knows uh, what happens. The example I have in mind is the MTH Hoygaard grounded connection problem. Uh, where it, it arose in, in 2003, but by then it arose on a more advanced project and was affecting projects that were still under construction and what standard applies. Do you see that sort of issue coming up more often because people want the new technology faster <laughs> than it's, uh, uh, faster than it's um, got a, a sort of background track record? I can see that as, as you know being one issue. I mean, that's what you're saying, right? You have the energy transition. You're you're under time pressure. You want to um, you know launch new products, new technology at an accelerated speed. I mean, that's where you know projects have been heading for a long time. That mm -hmm. engineering is not finished when you start executing. Um, and, and the same with products. You launch products um, swiftly. You try to get them out on the market. Um, maybe a bit too early, so that can raise um, issues. But also, I think the point you're alluding to, um, if you you know put a, a product on the market today, 
um, and you know, five years down the line, you have a, a dispute arising because of some alleged design defect. In five years' time, the entire um, uh, the, the entire sector may have moved on. Engineering may have developed what was you know perfectly fine today, or what is perfectly fine today in five years' time may just be you know outdated. Then again, you know, if you look at it from a tribunal's perspective, at what point in point in time do you consider something to be defective? Is it, you know, during the when the hearing occurs or is it mm-hmm. when you when you sold the equipment? And I think those are difficult issues then um, you know for companies to de- to to deal with and for tribunals to decide. And it, it's the whole state of the art uh, yeah. argument and in energy transition that the period that you would normally be using for testing before you put it on the market is actually all live now. People are putting it out into the sea if it's a turbine or, or, or trying a new technology and then finding it doesn't work in operation and learning from it. In, have you seen how parties are trying to perhaps avoid disputes by putting into the contract certain changes in the risk transfer within that? Or are you finding that in the, in the disputes that you're dealing with, the problem is that the way the project's been set up is the traditional uh, energy system just being adapted and hasn't properly been adapted to take into account the kind of technology you're dealing with. I think you know we're getting there. So if you, I'm sure, you know, if you look at the contracts, they're probably still more traditional. But if you look at the, um, the debate, the discussions you have in an arbitration, uh, I think it's filtering through that you know. Um, engineering happens while you execute a project. Um, it's a very difficult point to communicate, to kind of get across um, in an arbitration because it's very technical, very complex. But I think we're getting there in terms of people just understanding that's that's how the matter industry is functioning. And if we turn now to the mechanism of dispute resolution, we, we talked about the urgency and we've seen in a lot of the institutions they've introduced emergency arbitrators to try and deal with result with disputes much more quickly. But the reality is it still takes too long to get the decisions. Have you had experience of that? And I mean, how has it impacted the project? Yeah, look, I think we, we have plenty of cases, you know, where we exactly face that issue. And I mean, if you look at where we are in terms of the tools we have to resolve disputes and to accelerate arbitration, um, it's there, right? As you say, we have remote, uh, we have accelerated arbitration. We you know, if you take a step back from uh, not only arbitration, but if you look at a broader picture dispute resolution, you know, we have mediation. We're all familiar with expert determination. We have plenty of tools to accelerate dispute resolution and resolve disputes early. The challenge is always kind of to to apply them um, in, in, uh, in any particular case. We had a debate for 10 years, even longer, Nothing much has changed. I mean, mediation hasn't taken off and has become the, you know, the, the standard process of resolving disputes. Um, so I think we have the tools, but our thinking is not yet there to properly make use of those tools. In part, I suppose it's a bit like arbitration now resembles so much litigation Mm. and adjudication resembles arbitration and mediations can sometimes be a bit like mini adjudications. Given the technology and as you say the technical issues that arise are quite complicated, can you, do you you think there's a a sort of hybrid process or do we think we need to look for a completely new process that can deal with 
the complexity of the issues, but quickly, because that's always been the challenge, the trade-off between time uh, and whether you can actually deal with the issues in a short time. Yeah, and look, I, I don't think we need to look for new tools or new technologies. I think we have everything. In my mind, what we need, it, it's more paradigm shift in terms of how we think about dispute resolution. Um, you know, in today's world, if you if you're an arbitrator and you have to deal with, you know, a due process issue right to a fair hearing, uh, which may delay the arbitration for another six months, 12 months, right? Um, you're not gonna um, risk your arbitral award by, you know, cutting short the arbitration and, you know, swiftly rendering yeah. an award. So um, right to a fair hearing, speed of an arbitration, right to a fair hearing will always win, right? You have, that, that has legal teeth, you know, that's procedurally relevant. Your award can be set aside. Speed of an arbitration, you have plenty of guidelines. It's nice to have, it's important. Um, so it's clear that, you know, due process will always win. Now, imagine you are in a world, um, you know, where you're at two degrees global warming, you're heading towards uh, three degrees. The implementation, the execution of energy infrastructure project has become of such importance, you know, not only for the parties, but for mankind, right, mm -hmm. to limit global warming. Our thinking may change in terms of how we look at speed of arbitration, and we may give it more legal teeth. And I think if you imagine such a world, you will probably deal with such a situation you know, where you have to, where you global, where you have, you know, due process issues versus, you know, speed of an arbitration, you'll try to find a different balance. And I think that's when you start thinking differently in terms of dispute resolution and, you know, broader picture, looking at all the various tools you have, mediation, um, you know, expert determination and how you apply them. It's interesting, when you were talking about the balance between due process and speed, I got the impression you were very much thinking of it from an arbitrator's perspective and the enforceability of the award. And as a lawyer, which of course you and I are, but I wonder if you're from the party's perspective and arbitration is a consensual process, actually sometimes speed is more important than due process. We saw that with adjudication, but for example, the project has to move forward. There is a real sticking point and a lot of money turns on it for example, a defect, do you fix the defect and gamble that at the end you're going to get a result that shows that you were right to fix it? Or or do you not fix the, the defect uh, and just fight about it and wait until after the, the process decides who pays for that defect, for example? From an arbitrator's perspective and a lawyer's perspective, you may think, well, it's better to get the certainty of a decision before you invest the money. But of course, from the project perspective and maybe from the party's perspective, isn't it better to just, you have to take that gamble? And that's the tension. So I wonder whether in that debate between due process and speed, actually from the party's perspective, there might be situations where speed is perhaps more important than the due process, because you need a decision, even if it's a defective decision, to get the project moving. I think it, it, you know, it's finding the right balance, right? I think you will also, from a party's perspective, you will not want to compromise due process uh, just to uh, achieve speed. Mm. Um, but 
where we are today. I agree. Is, it's not speed at all costs. No, yeah. it's not speed. But where we are today is that you know speed is a nice to have, um, and you know true pro due process tops everything. And of course, you have the due process paranoia, right? Uh, where things then really go wrong. I think the challenge is to find the right balance. And to get to the right balance, you need to give teeth to speed. Speed cannot be something nice to have. It has value in itself, and it goes beyond, if you look at it from a climate change perspective, it goes beyond individual case. You know, your example, you cannot have a situation where, you know, you go through a let's say a two year long arbitration, assume you have a, you know, you're in the middle of an arbitration, it's a, you know, a wind project, the um, turbines are, are defective, they are not spinning, they are not generating electricity. Um, the parties don't, are not able to kind of agree on first repairing and then fighting. They first, you know, want, they, they want to go through the entire um, arbitration and then at the end of it, um, you know, whatever the outcome is, um, have it repaired. So you have a situation where the, the turbines are not spinning for one, two years, not generating electricity. And if you're in a country where the alternative is coal, you can probably calculate the CO2 emission generated by such an arbitration. Um, you know, that, that's something we, we need to avoid clearly. And we need to, you know, then make sure the arbitration moves along very quickly. Are you finding that the disputes are arising at the end of projects or are you finding that they actually are moving up front, that there's more uh, live dispute resolution during the course of execution, such that it's influencing the execution? I, I think my what I see is that you actually have more disputes arising during the execution of the, of the project. And being resolved during that by DABs or...? I am not so much by DABs, but really that uh, the dispute kind of carries on along the execution of the project, which you can imagine is quite a challenge. I was going to ask you how that impacts execution. No, it, it's it's a it's a real challenge. I mean, you need to um, you know keep both separate. The risk, of course, is that the dispute spills over into the execution, and the execution is is um, you know if people become more positional when they execute a project. It's not working. Right? You need to be you need to be cooperative and you need to be pragmatic. And the risk when you have a dispute is that all of that cooperation, the pragmatic approach to, to dealing with issue gets lost. I remember a few years ago there was a lot of talk about the size of these projects, particularly offshore wind, getting so big that no single contractor could carry the risk. And so that they were envisaging more and more parties having different phases, for example, mm. of the wind farm, and more parties being involved in splitting it, it up. Has that affected, um, in your experience, dispute resolution in terms of a bigger push for some form of multi-party, or have people just resorted to type and gone back to the standards? I mean, we, we, we've seen certain projects that are just too big for you know one. Um, Company to do it that you have a consortium with different with competitors basically in in in, uh, in executing the project. Um, you know, it's a bit more difficult, I think, to execute these type of project. It works, um, and you know, if the project is too big for one company to do it alone, that's just the way you have to go. But but it's certainly a bigger challenge. What I had in mind is not that you'd have a consortium and an owner dispute, but that you might have 
an owner, uh, an EPC contractor, a turbine supplier, and the turbine supplier may be saying he's delayed by the EPC contractor, and uh, the EPC contractor saying he's delayed by the turbine, but there's no contract between those two. And so you've got really the owner sitting in the middle. And these projects are, because they are getting bigger and involving more parties, you've got more situations where the person who you are blaming is not someone you've got a contract with. So you're going through the contractual route. And so what I had in mind is whether you thought in that scenario that there is scope for perhaps looking at more multi-party dispute resolution, because at the moment you can get that in a court, but you can't get it in arbitration unless you're yeah. joined or a yeah. consolidation yeah. and adjudication. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we see these type of cases. Mm. Um, interestingly, we don't see too much multi-party arbitration. Right. We have, um, of course, uh, you know, joinder and consolidation clauses. You see that more and more coming up in, in contracts. Um, but I haven't seen that translate into multi-party arbitrations as yet. Not to the, you know, in, in the scenario you describe, you would think, well, that makes a whole lot of sense if you're the owner, right? You'd like to have, um, you know, both the EPC and the supplier in, 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 the, same, in the same case to be able to effectively uh, decide it. But I haven't really seen those cases very often. No. And of course, the owner is the person that decides the contractual terms at the beginning. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. What about, do you think it's incentivized mediation? Because you can have multi-party mediation. Or, or have you not seen, seen an uptick? I haven't, you know, that's the curious thing. I haven't really seen an uptick in, in mediation. And, the, you know, the mediation discussion has been around for mm. how long? Decades as by as now, right? Yeah. So it's it, it's it's uh, everyone knows mediation is around. Um, everyone you know talks about mediation mm -hmm. being a good tool to resolve disputes, but it's not really growing the way you would expect it to grow. Mm -hmm.